0: We have a favor to ask. Our partner is conducting a survey and would be grateful for your help in answering a few questions. It'll take less than 10 minutes of your time, and your participation helps support our advertisers. Please go to SlateStudy.com to complete the short survey now. The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. (laughs) It's Wednesday, September twenty fifth, two thousand nineteen. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So there are so many different things to say and assess about the Trump, Ukraine impeachment, Democrat story. I just want to make one thing clear. I do think the president committed impeachable acts? But that's not the thing I want to make clear. Here is that thing. It's that what I think is in some ways a hindrance, not a help. It seems so clear to me, as it might to you, that Trump not only abused his office and held American foreign policy hostage for political gain domestically, and also when he was running, abused his future office in the same way, that I find myself falling into traps, cognitive traps, so I try to guard against them. And I make a a check-in consciously, and I'll offer you some advice on how to do this yourself. So, If the name of the game is to convince reluctant Republicans in the Senate to convict the president, and yes, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but that is the goal. You must not see everything through the eyes of those that are certain that each scrap of evidence should be read as damning. I have those eyes. You might too. For instance, I think the transcript of the call with the president of Ukraine is damning, but others see them as not. Lindsey Graham says the transcript, is not damning. Maybe a reasonable person of goodwill could read that exchange and find everything more or less above board. Actually, it doesn't matter because the relevant parties are not reasonable people of goodwill. They're biased people who are motivated not to see the light. But that's what we are dealing with here. If we are to make an assessment of if conviction will happen, we have to see things through the eyes of those of who it's in their interest not to see things perhaps in the fairest way. And then there's also this fact that Trump speaks so vaguely with so many gaps in logic and with such weird syntax and with paralypsis, which is when you say, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that thing. Maybe there is really a case that Trump could make that he really wasn't pressuring the Ukrainian president. He was just checking in on a country that has, over the years, enjoyed U.S. munificence. All right, here's the, or a relevant part of the call. Trump, I will say we do a lot for Ukraine. We spend a lot of effort and a lot of time, much more than the European countries are doing, and they should be helping you more than they are. Germany does almost nothing for you. All they do is talk, and I think it's something that you should really ask them about. So ask them about talking. When I was speaking to Angela Merkel, which I guess is also talking. She talks to Ukraine, again, talking, but she doesn't do anything. A lot of European countries are the same. Here we go. So I think it's something you want to look at, but the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. I wouldn't say that it's reciprocal necessarily because things are happening that are not good, but the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. (sighs) Tough. I wouldn't say that it's reciprocal necessarily, So does that mean, look, you do good for us and we'll do good for you? Or does that mean we have been doing good for you? You need to now do good for us? Does it mean with all we've done for you, can't you do that for us? Or does it mean the generally vague word salad that it seems to mean on the page? And also remember, it's relevant what the intended audience thought of this. At the UN today, Vladimir Zelensky said, He wasn't pressured, but then he also had trouble recalling the English word for elections. How much was he really comprehending what Trump was saying or trying to say or giving the impression that he was trying to say? I think there might be enough ambiguity there for a person whose interests are to stick with the president to still stick with the president. And of course, let's caveat this by saying this isn't all of the transcript. Who knows? Like I say,
1: Lindsey Graham thought the call was fine. And Trump said of Lindsey Graham today, Lindsey Graham said to me when he read it, it it's very interesting. He's a good man. He's a smart man. Of course, the same Lindsey Graham that Trump spoke of this way a few years ago. For instance, this guy, Lindsey Graham, you have a guy. He's one of the dumbest human beings I've ever seen.
0: Oh, man. And remember, 34 of the 53 Republican senators aren't even as smart as that guy. On the show today, it's an all-Ukrainian investigation slash impeachment show. I spiel about the deficits inherent in Mr. Trump's answers. I'm gonna have to play that Lindsey Graham thing again, just have to. But first, I am joined by law David Priest to talk about all aspects of this investigation. I asked him to come by, he said yes, and still, I would say there was no quid pro quo. There are, as far as I see it, Several, maybe four main strands of the uh, Trump-Ukrainian impeachment investigation. One, foreign affairs, you know, with the Ukraine part of it. Two, you got a national security angle. Three, you have domestic politics. How will this shake out in the midterms and how will this appeal to voters? And four, you have the internal mechanisms of largely the Democratic Party. But, you know, how is Congress going to do their job? Who really can answer questions on all of these? The man sitting right across from me. He's David Priest, the chief operating officer of Lawfare, worked at the CIA, worked as Robert Mueller's personal briefer at the FBI. His Latest book is how to get rid of a president: history's guide to removing unpopular, unable, or unfit chief executives. Thanks for coming in, David. You're welcome. None of that is fake news. None of All fake. of that is true. Yeah, and though the with the book there was a quid pro quo, right? You wrote it, they paid you. I, I should have, I should
2: have called it quid pro quo, right?
0: <laughs> From now on, maybe that'll be my new Twitter handle. All right. So why? This is a basic question, but I want to see if you have any uh, bring any nuances to it that I haven't thought of. But why is the alle- Why are the allegations so serious to
2: put it as plainly as possible? It's abuse of power. It's the president using his position not to further national security interests. You look at the transcript or the memo that is a summary of a conversation shorthand transcript. Uh, you look at that. And there's, there's nothing in there about Trump trying to advance core U.S. national interests. Mm-hmm. It's all about using the position of the presidency, the ability to talk to the Ukrainian leader in order to advance his own personal and partisan interests. And that is so different than our experience with even bad presidents in foreign policy that it falls under that category of abuse of power.
0: Why is the why are the allegations here? Why are they different from what Robert Mueller was investigating, you know, the the Russian interference during the election? There there are a couple
2: of reasons. One is that on the Russian investigation, it wasn't clear exactly what the Russians did and how they did it. There had to be an investigation to find out Was there, in fact, some kind of interference? Meddling is the light word. Interference is the middle word. Information warfare is the strong term. But was there something along that spectrum? And if so, what was the Trump campaign's involvement with it? That was the core investigation, which evolved into also obstruction of justice based on the president's reaction to said investigation. So that's number one. We had to find out what actually happened. Here, the president has copped to what has happened. Mm -hmm. He has already said oh yeah, I I talked with them about this and I talked about Biden and now the transcript or the memo has been released. It's fundamentally different in that we know what the core issue is here. There, we didn't know, was there a criminal conspiracy going on, shorthanded to collusion? And then was there obstruction of justice? That had to be discovered. So that's fundamentally different on that level.
0: Is it then, are you saying it's the case that one of the differences is this is less ambiguous, this is easier to get our heads around, But also that the Russia investigation, perhaps a reasonable person can come to a conclusion that there really was no um, violations. And it's almost impossible to come to that conclusion with the Ukrainian situation.
2: When I think about it at the most fundamental level, it's, and I think this is a clearer message than the Mueller report narrative. Mm -hmm. In this case, the president was enlisting the help of a foreign power to affect domestic politics. He used his personal attorney and the Attorney General of the United States as the agents to do so. That's, People understand that. That's yes. a message well, that I don't think pe- is going to be hard to get across.
0: Beyond that, people understand it. Am I right in saying? You know, I read the whole Mueller report and followed the story. What you just said, you could not say as clearly about any one of the strands that was investigated with the Russia report. The Trump Tower meeting had a lot of questions, but it does require us to make some inferences and to fill in some gaps. Whereas this just does not. If this were in the Russia investigation, it would be the clearest thing to show that there was coordination. Between the president right. and a foreign power. I, I think there was
2: something in the Russia investigation that was like that, which is Donald Trump saying publicly, yeah. Russia, if you're listening, you know, I sure would love to see those 30,000 emails. The right. media would reward right. you. President
0: Trump, but he had the out of saying it was a joke and the and it well, was a coincidence. But he doesn't have true. that out here. He's no. not joking with uh, Although Although he, he may actually, Lodalier.
2: it wouldn't surprise me if he yeah. walked that back. It's hard to at this point. Uh, there have been, you know, now another public meeting with the president of Ukraine. It's hard to walk that back. But... When you have no shame, you can easily just shift the narrative completely. And that is is—that is actually an asset for the president here, is saying something out in the open, putting it out there. We have a fundamental human tendency to expect people who do something wrong to hide it or mm-hmm. to feel some sense of shame. And when they don't, psychologically, there's a part of every human being that kind of says, oh, well, I guess it's okay then because he doesn't feel there's anything wrong with it. Well, there's a pathology involved in that, and we just don't deal well with that because that is not normal human behavior.
0: Also, I would say there's something in the criminal code. There are components of some acts that contain um, acknowledgement of guilt or um, evidence of guilt. Yeah. And uh, And if you cannot feel guilt, well, I guess you skate on that one.
2: (laughs) That is a tough defense to mount, (laughs) but we are almost getting there. And it's funny, even as we're very, very clearly in impeachment territory here, I mean, Nancy Pelosi... Used the word yesterday, even though we're in impeachment territory. Your point actually gets us back to discussion of what if the president isn't well? What if he's unable to determine right, wrong, truth, untruth? Then you're back to Twenty Fifth Amendment Section Four material, uh, which great new book coming out by the way. Uh, Brian Cult from Michigan State is looking just at Section Four of the Twenty Fifth Amendment, but this gets intertwined in there because you can imagine a defense saying. He just didn't know it was wrong, and he's incapable of knowing Mm -hmm. it's wrong. That's a hard one to defend.
0: Yeah. And I guess that is a next-order discussion. Maybe the reason why he sold out U.S. foreign policy for political gain was because he's um, amoral. Oh, interesting. Maybe we'll get to that, but you know what? Just the very fact that he did, if in fact this is true, that's all we need to know to impeach, probably.
2: I think so. Uh, the, The impeachment right, it's amazing how quickly the impeachment movement uh, gained momentum. Yeah, what do you make of that? Within a couple of Why? days. Why?
0: Why so different from the Russia investigation?
2: My suspicion is a lot of people with the Russia investigation were there. Yeah. But they didn't feel like they could justify it easily. They didn't have a gotcha moment or a big flash. This was that. Th- this this developed relatively quickly, and it was so egregious that in a sense that it gave some people who knew, yes, this president is unfit for office... It gave them something to hang their head on. Yeah. That makes a huge difference. And that's why if there's a slow rolling now, if the Democrats want to say, well, we'll take nine months to investigate it and then we'll decide. I think you'll actually lose some of those people who said, no, no, no. The reason that we are publicly now saying in swing districts, yes, this president needs to at least be investigated for impeachment, but probably impeached we're going to lose some of those people because they're going to walk it back because the momentum won't be there anymore.
0: Um, how, so Nancy Pelosi did use the word impeachment, but what does that mean? There are no, there's no new impeachment committee from what I understand.
2: (laughs) No, that's what we were all waiting for is to find out when, oh, she's on board now. Well, what is she on board with? It looks like she
0: is on board with say the word impeachment.
2: Yeah. (laughs) With calling it what it is already. There are investigations going on. She is formally calling it an impeachment inquiry. Now, the one small advantage that might uh, accrue to calling it an impeachment process is that you get expedited court attention to conflicts with the executive branch over providing witnesses and documents. Uh-huh.
0: Maybe. But were the courts, I mean, they were stonewalling all the other investigations. Were the courts well, dragging their feet on them? It, not necessarily, but mm-hmm. if you're trying to move this thing forward in a relatively
2: decent time frame, you're going to need to get materials and not just fight a court battle for two years over whether someone has to show up. So there's a slight advantage there. The the danger is she still hasn't had a whole House vote on impeachment. And you've right. already heard some people saying the speaker can call it whatever she wants, but it ain't an impeachment inquiry until the House says it is. So there may have to be a vote at some point to authorize an impeachment inquiry just to make it even easier to resolve court battles if it gets to that. That's really the only difference here, because as some of my colleagues at Lawfare wrote up a couple of months ago, there really isn't that much advantage to calling it an impeachment inquiry. It was back in the day because that actually gave the chairman of the relevant committee's power to do things like issue subpoenas. Right. Well, committee rules have changed between then and now, such that Jerry Nadler on the Judiciary Committee already has the power to give subpoenas. So calling it an impeachment inquiry does not give him something he didn't have.
0: If the whistleblower is given that hearing, and I don't mean the hearing of just the proper channels being followed. I mean, an actual hearing, either behind closed doors or in front. Right. Would that does that represent risks to him, to the process? Are there any uh, downsides to it having to come to that? The downside that the I said him, it could be him or her.
2: So. Her, him, or her. I don't know. the The downside, according to the legal counsel office at DOJ, is this. This involves presidential privileged communications. That is somewhat undermined by the fact that they put out the memo of the conversation that, at least in part, the complaint yeah. relates to. Uh, we have reports that it relates to a pattern of behavior, not just one phone call, but perhaps multiple phone calls, meetings, yeah. conversations. Right.
0: Well, so, is it undermined or is it like the analogy? Well, the analogy being that he could declassify anything he wants. Well, he can. Yeah. Now,
2: there is a danger, uh, I think, at the you know on the defense of the executive branch. There is a danger to the president's ability to conduct foreign policy if conversations with foreign leaders need to be released whenever somebody raises a complaint. Sure. Now, <laughs> there are a couple of obstacles to that in this particular case. But as a principle, we don't want that as Americans either. We need the president to be able to conduct foreign policy with some measure of secrecy. Right. That said, when the administration decided we are going to ask Ukraine, do you mind if we release this? And they say, sure. And then they do. Well... You're basically saying this is not going to harm U.S. national security if we release this. If it does, then it's further ammunition to say this had nothing to do with national security and it was all a political game.
0: They both can't be true. They both can't
2: be true. Yeah. Right on. Right on. For me, that's the bigger issue is are we actually doing damage to a functioning government under somebody who does respect the norms and institutions of government operations in the future? That said, we have to get to the bottom of this.
0: Okay, so since you do sit at the confluence of all those rivers we spoke of in the beginning, since you are Pittsburgh's Three River Stadium and you are the, I don't know, the Steelers, the Pirates, but neither wow. one are having that great Wow, that is a ago. tortured analogy. <laughs> we we spoke <laughs> of the national security angle. We spoke of the, uh, the mechanisms of impeachment. But what about the politics? You wrote about how to get mm-hmm. rid of a president. Yeah. I don't know if this is conventional wisdom. I don't want to overstate it and say it is conventional wisdom, but there is a school of thought that says An impeachment, which is just the House of Representatives voting to impeach, without a conviction in the Senate, is a disaster for the Democrats and also probably what will happen. Do you have thoughts, based on your reading of history, of that? Two two thoughts.
2: First of all, the votes are clearly there in the House to impeach. I don't think Pelosi would have uh, made her announcement this week if she did not feel confident that an impeachment inquiry could lead to an actual impeachment. So I think that's happening. And that's, of course, only happened twice. We've only had Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton impeached. Nixon surely would have been, but he removed himself from the process first. So two, possibly uh, three. That is a big deal. And we shouldn't pretend that it isn't. That is a firm rebuke. The founders meant it to be more than just a step on the way to conviction. They thought that the impeachment itself would be a big deal. Conviction and removal is hard. It's not just a majority like it is in the House. It's a two-thirds majority. Yeah,
0: and that's hard to do. Yeah. So you, when they start k- ticking off the four, or five Republicans who could defect, you need a lot more than that. You, you do. And so I'm, I'm laying out the one case that it's, that it's very hard. Yeah. In fact,
2: Andrew Johnson, who was almost universally reviled, who did some bad things, who violated directly a law—now that law was later ruled unconstitutional—but he directly violated a law knowing he was doing so with a Senate that was firmly in control of the opposition. In fact, they had two-thirds control, and yet they still failed to convict him. So it's a hard measure. On the other hand, nothing creates momentum like momentum. And it's hard for me to believe that opinion polls right now or the decisions of individual senators— are going to be unmoved by the process of impeachment when it is stated directly, this is what the president did, this is why it's an abuse of power, and we get to see how that in and of itself changes the opinion as an impeachment process gets voted on in the House. I think you will have senators who, by many reports, say privately to each other and to others, oh no, we can't wait to get rid of this president, or oh, we just hope we can keep our heads down long enough that he's out of office. Republicans will say that, but they won't say so publicly. Mm -hmm. Well, there will be a tipping point at which some of them will say so publicly.
0: So there are two camps among the Republican senators. Um, There is uh, Senator Burr of North Carolina, who is seen as pretty frustrated with the way that Trump has handled this and Russia. And then there's Senator Johnson of Wisconsin, who actually wants to look into probing if Biden did anything wrong in Ukraine on behalf of Hunter I'm just gonna say it, that seems totally illegitimate. Is there anything to be said for that investigation?
2: I have not seen anything to tell me that there's something legitimate there. It, yeah. You can't prove a negative, which is actually Trump's genius in this. You throw something out there, you see what sticks. I mean, he's still fantasizing about missing servers and emails from Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So he throws things out there, it sticks with enough of a certain media ecosystem that it feeds in. People are saying that to the representatives. The representatives think it matters. It becomes, it becomes its own thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Biden thing might remain a thing. That could be something he can keep trotting out. He doesn't have to even say which Biden. Right. Now he can just use the word Biden like yeah. he throws out the word the Clintons, right? To me, that's the danger, is it, it creates its own. Does that mean that there's nothing there? I don't know. Frankly, I don't care. It's been researched enough to know that there's not something big and obvious there. Um, That is separate from the issue of how is he using the powers of the presidency.
0: David Priest is the chief operating officer of Lawfare, CIA background, FBI background. And his last book was How to Get Rid of a President, History's Guide to Removing Unpopular, Unable, or Unfit Chief Executives. Thank you, David. You're welcome. And now, the spiel. What if you created an alternative reality where you never have to make a true point or a good point, just a point that a minority of listeners think is a good and true point? And when I say think, I might mean feel. You might get a situation exactly like the situation we have right now, where inculpatory information is released with the knowledge that a minority of the listeners will believe it to be exculpatory information, just so long as you say it is. And then you're further helped by questioners in the media who ask such gems as this, which Trump was asked at the UN today.
1: Mr. President, do you you believe that the emails from Hillary Clinton,
0: do you believe that they're in Ukraine? Great question. Area 51 is calling. They need their weatherman back. Trump answered...
1: Boy, that was a nice question. I like that
0: question. Yes, here is his internal dialogue. I am excellent at picking questioners. See, not all the media is dishonest. He then went on to answer.
1: Because, frankly, I think that one of the great crimes committed is Hillary Clinton deleting 33,000 emails after Congress sends her a subpoena. Think of that. You can't even do that in a civil case. You can't get rid of evidence like that. She deleted 33,000 emails after not before after receiving the subpoena from the u.s congress i mean i've never heard that she's done far worse than that although i don't know how much worse it can be but there were many other things she did that were wrong but that's so obvious she gets a subpoena from the united states congress and she deletes them. and then she said as i remember it that oh well they had to do with the wedding and yoga she does a lot of yoga right
0: it should be noted that the as-you-remember phrase that might be influenced by a condition neurologists call oatmeal brain. So here, here he was. Here's the scene, by the way. He's sitting next to a visibly uncomfortable Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. Trump is defending phone calls that are quite damning, but asserting, A, they're not damning, and B, we need to get into the details of an unrelated non-scandal. Conspiracy theory crashes into conspiracy theory in a way to distract from actual conspiracy. Trump going after the emails now is like on the brink of the release of the Watergate tapes, Nixon launching into another version of the checker speech. All right, is that too far back? Okay, it's as if Antonio Brown addressed his current sexual assault allegations by talking about his helmet. Too frivolous? Okay, here's what it's like. It's like the president of the United States using horrible threadbare arguments and distractionary tactics that wouldn't fool a toddler, but it working. Or is it working? I don't know. Key Republicans have expressed concerns,
1: concerns, grave
0: doubts. Ooh, Mitt Romney, in fact, today called it. Well,
1: listen. If the president of the United States uh, asks or presses the leader of a foreign country to carry out an investigation of a political nature, <clears throat> uh, that's troubling. It is
0: troubling, which is the understated way that a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints might say quite troubling. Well, as The Washington Post reports, the Senate Republicans were split I don't know if they were split 50 50, but if they were split anything less than 20 are still okay with it, the president will still remain the president. As this was going on, Vladimir Zelensky was pressed into a professation of POTUS probity. He had this to say of the phone call. There he was sitting next to Donald Trump at this U.N. press availability. These were his words.
1: I'm sorry, but I don't want to be involved to democratic, open elections.
0: Wait, that's exactly Trump's position too. Trump got to him. Now, if you're wondering why Zelensky had the comportment of one of the townspeople who doesn't want Billy Mummy to banish him to the cornfield, here it is. The U.S. gives Ukraine $510 million in aid annually. You may have heard or read that the president was holding up an aid package of 391 million that is true but that's just the military aid according to USAID the US Agency of International Development our country gives Ukraine 510 million dollars in aid now consider that Ukraine has just plunged past Moldova Moldova as the poorest country in Europe the Ukrainian gross national product is 112 billion their federal budget is less than $70 billion. $510 million is a huge chunk of that. So they got to act. So they got to make nicey-nice. Donald Trump went on to make further infuriating remarks. Infuriating because A, they were irrelevant to answering the charges. And B, they might be effective in answering
1: the charges. You folks were saying such lies, such horrible things about a call that was so innocent and so nice. In fact, uh, Lindsey Graham said to me when he read it, it was very interesting. He's a good man, he's a smart man. He said, I can't believe it. I never knew you could be this really nice to a person. He said, I, I cannot believe it. You were so nerd. I didn't think you had that in you to be so nice. I was nice. I'm nice to a lot of people. People don't understand that. Uh, But I was. But he was shocked that it was such a nice
0: call. Yes, Lindsey said, you didn't release his phone number. You didn't call him a disgrace. You didn't call him a nut job. That's how you do things, right? You also say this.
1: For instance, this guy, Lindsey Graham, you have a guy, he's one of the dumbest human beings I've ever seen.
0: Apparently emboldened by his past successful strategy of browbeating rivals until they come to heel, Donald Trump went on to the next question. Why should the American people be comfortable with an American president asking a foreign leader for information on an American citizen. All right, that's a good question. Here is a big part of Trump's answer.
1: And after that per, after that person, namely me, won and convincingly won at 306 to 223 in the electoral college, which by the way, when you run a race, if you're running electoral, you know, if you go by the college, the electoral college, That's a much different race than running popular vote. And it's like the 100-yard dash or the mile. You train differently. And I can't help it that my opponent didn't go to Wisconsin and should have gone much more to Michigan and Pennsylvania and other places. But that's the way it is. Again,
0: the question was, should the American people be comfortable with the president asking a foreign government for info on a citizen. That was an attempt to focus the president after he didn't answer the question the first time. In fact, here's what he said.
1: You folks were saying such lies, such horrible things about a call that was so innocent and so nice. In fact, uh, Lindsey Graham said to me when he read it, it was very interesting. He's a good man. He's a smart man. He said, I can't believe it. I never knew you could be this really nice to a person. He said... I I cannot believe it. You were so ner. I didn't think you had that in you to be so nice. I was nice. I'm nice to a lot of people. People don't understand that. Uh, But I was. But he was shocked that it was such a nice call. Wow.
0: Just wow. This whole thing is distractionary. It's discursive. It's unhinged. And it's also the fight that we are told that Trump wants. It is the tactics that he thinks served him well through the Mueller investigation. And it might well prove the right tack to deny and redefine reality. It's like an unimpeachably great American president said, you can't fool all of the people all of the time. But if you can fool 42% of the American voting public and 34 out of 53 Republican senators, then you could pretty much abuse your office all of the time. And that's it for today's show. Daniel Schrader produces The Gist. He's a good man, a smart man, and dumb as a bag of hammers. Christina DeJosa also produces The Gist. She did a great job, but she didn't feel pushed to do it. I mean, she says pushed. She means pressured, but she didn't feel pushed. The Gist. If she doesn't do yoga on the beach, then you must not impeach. Oomperoo and thanks for listening.